Welcome to the Valentine's Day special of the Kenosha City Church podcast, where Pastor Andy talks about God's design for marriage. Learn why it is so important to know God's intention for marriage, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, or anywhere in between. Enjoy the message. We have to make and understand a plan to win. So we need to understand what marriage is all about. John Piper defines marriage this way. He said, God designed marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman for their mutual joy, the good of society, and the procreation of children. Marriage ultimately displays the glory and grace of God by picturing the unbreakable relationship between Christ and the church. That's a good one. Marriage is not made just for you. Marriage was not made just for you. Sometimes we think of marriage and we think of what we're going to get out of it. There's been plenty of books written, even in Christian bookstores, about how you can get the most satisfaction out of marriage. And what they miss the point is this. Marriage was not made just for you. There's so much more to it. You see, your priority in life, first and foremost, isn't to get married. Did you know that? Marriage doesn't complete you. The Lord Jesus Christ completes us. We are made complete in Jesus Christ, whatever season that you're in. Don't you think for a second that whatever season you're in and you wish you're in a different season, that somehow you're something other than the fullness of what God wants you to be. I want you to know you could be in the fullness of what God wants you to be in the season you're in right now. Marriage is a gift. Some of you will be called to marriage in God's timing. God has a season and he, and he changes seasons. And, and the, the thing that we often mess up is that, is that we want the season to come now or we want it to come in our way. And I'm going to tell you that, that that is where often where people make the biggest mistakes. They hear what God says or they know what they have in their heart, but they want it in their timing. So don't rush or even despise the season that you're in. Jesus must be first no matter what season you're in. God is first and then in marriage, your spouse will be number two. But remember, in marriage, marriage was not made just for you. Because marriage was not made just for you, there's four things I want us to break down. Number one, marriage is God's idea. Secondly, marriage is committed. Third, marriage is complementary. And fourth, marriage is Christ-like. So if you're in your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to break down the first one, that marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. And as you turn there, Jesus is uh, in an argument, as he often is, with the Pharisees. We mentioned this passage last week, uh, and so again, we're going to unpack it a little bit further. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Now some of the Pharisees approached him, as Jesus, to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? So they're having a little bit of a debate. They're going to Jesus. What's your opinion? You see, the Pharisees, they were a religious class. Uh, They knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out, uh, but they also followed the the Manishnah and the Talmud. These are two Jewish writings uh, that are above scripture. And so they would follow these two other writings, and they would often judge others if uh, if they were following God, if they followed these two other writings as well. So the pursuit of salvation for the Pharisees was how religious they were and how close they kept to the law. And so understandably, when they heard Jesus' teachings, they were offended. And so often they would ask questions to Jesus to try to catch him, 
to try to catch him as a heretic, to try to discredit him. And we see this in verse 3. The Pharisees, they were testing Jesus. Now, we're testing so clear because we see the intention of the Pharisees. They weren't here to say, hmm, I wonder what his view on divorce is. We're like, ooh, this is a hot topic one. We can get him here, right? So that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They're trying to get him into a corner. Uh, in the day, it was accepted through Judaism that a man could divorce his wife, and many believed that wives had no recourse or they could divorce husbands. Only men could. Many believed that way. But again, there were different opinions and different nuances. It was a tricky subject in Jesus' day, just as divorce is a tricky subject today. One Jewish school of thought was that a man could divorce his wife only if there was adultery. Another more liberal Jewish school of thought was like, well, uh, you can divorce your wife if you just didn't want to be married to her anymore. It was the, the original no-fault divorce. So as you can see, there probably were some heated discussions amongst those in the, in the Jewish religion. But again, we notice here that they weren't looking to settle the score here. They were looking to trap Jesus with this question. So Jesus does something absolutely amazing. As the Pharisees are asking Jesus, so can people divorce on any grounds? Jesus didn't do as we often do as we start taking different views and comparing and contrasting. He didn't do any of that. He didn't debate the various Jewish theologies or school of thought, but rather he went back to the origins of marriage. Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate we see here that Jesus goes back to the origins of marriage and he could do this not only did he know the text of the origins of marriage we see that in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 but Jesus was a part of the creation of marriage Jesus was at the creation account we see this in John chapter 1 verse 2 it says he was with God in the beginning all things were created through him that's Jesus and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created John 1:10 he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him he came to his own and his people did not receive him we see that Jesus is part of all of creation including the very blueprints of marriage. Little did the Pharisees know that when they were asking Jesus about his opinion on marriage, they were actually asking the architect. In answering any questions on marriage or sex or relationships, Jesus didn't appeal to cultural understanding, and this should be our template as well. Yes, we should be aware of what's going on in culture, but never at the expense of the authority of God's word. The authority of God's word will always speak no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Matthew 19, 4, he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. Jesus, again, quoting Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Jesus said, okay, marriage. Well, first off, God created male and he created female. The reason why Jesus is going back to the blueprint of creation is he's showing the Pharisees he's creator God. Our God is creator our God is in control. And the question is, are we in our life, in our understanding of things, how we act, uh, how we feel, are we willing to put that under the lordship of our creator God, or are we going to tell God what to do? Marriage is God's idea. God's in charge. And because of that, we need to follow his way and his understanding, his blueprint, as we lead up to marriage, when you're in marriage, 
And after marriage, and there's a number of reasons why you might be in the season of after marriage. You could be widowed. Uh, there could have been a divorce. You could have been the one that, that committed adultery or committed the aggression in marriage. You could be the one. It could have been two to tango. It could have been, you could have been one that was just blindsided. We're all in different places, but no matter what, you, have, you can make the decision today. I am going to follow Jesus in this season. I'm going to give you the glory the rest of my life. Marriage is God's idea. Second point, marriage is committed. Marriage is committed. Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. This is Jesus speaking. He'll leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What Jesus is saying is, Marriage is supposed to last. It's supposed to be permanent. That's what God's blueprint is. Uh, you don't make it portable. Uh, you, you make it permanent. And we see this very clearly here, that word leave. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. That word leave isn't just like, hey, I'll see you later. And if it doesn't work out, I may see you next week. No, that word leave could be translated abandon, forsake. It's when you, when you stand on this very stage and, and you're giving vows and you're saying to one another your, your vows to each other. You are literally saying, I'm forsaking all others that could come into my life in this situation called marriage. It's a strong word. It's a decisive word. You know, often speaking of the wedding ceremony, a lot goes into that. In fact, I was looking at the latest stats of what people spend on the wedding and the reception. The average is $28,000, all right? And uh, I, I, I want to say a lot of you uh, go under budget on that, and I want to say, way to go. That's awesome, all right? <laughs> but $28,000 is the American average for a wedding in this Instagram age. And there's so much insanity that goes into this pre-planning, just so you can have a few, three or four good Instagram pictures that everybody can like. And listen, there's nothing wrong with the pomp and circumstances of the ceremony. It's an important day, and, the, and likewise, there should be an important ceremony. But listen, too many people live for the ceremony, and they don't live for the commitment that comes after the ceremony. See, the vow is a covenant that's less about your feelings of the day and that moment, but it's more about the promises you're going to make when you don't feel it in that moment. It's a vow that's under the lordship of Jesus Christ. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be, next word, joined to his wife. That word joined literally means to be glued, to be cemented to one another, glued to each other. And this culminates into this one flesh union that is the sexual union. Through the one flesh union, God literally fuses together two lives of the complementary sexes of, of the male and female and this has major, major implications. When we read this, we read the, the original blueprints. We realize the foundations that God has given us for marriage has major implications in our single life, major implications in our married life, major implications for our entire life. That means before marriage, during marriage, after marriage, there's not to be pornography or sexual activity that's not your spouse. That means that sexual activity while dating or engagement uh, isn't something that God permits. Sex is meant to be experienced under the blessing, under the blessing of, of marriage that God has laid out. You see, the norm today is that many people, they want to become one without marriage. They'll move in together. 
And listen, I want, I want you to know, there's been a lot of people that have come here, and you may be here today, and you're like, whoa, uh-oh, this is me. Yeah, we're going to be treading a lot of territory that I hope hits our hearts, because this is God's blueprint, right? But I've had many people that have come in, some have been living for years and years and years together, and finally I just say, why don't you step underneath the blueprint of, of Jesus? It's been amazing being able to, to preside over those weddings. So I want you to know I'm happy you're here no matter where you're at this morning. But the norm in today's society is this, that we're one in everything but marriage. We'll be one in that we'll share one common space. We'll be one in that we share our finances together. We'll be one that we share our, all our emotions together. We'll be one that we share our sexual life together. But we will not be one underneath the concept of God's marriage. We'll do it our way. That's the normal way today. And it comes at a consequence, a big consequence. According to, the race, according to recent secular surveys, I believe the last one was Pew Research, that those who cohabitate before marriage have a 33% higher risk of divorce. You would think that, and you hear normally, well, if we live together and we can figure out if we're compatible and all this. Like, listen, here's the deal. Uh, you can learn what you need to learn, okay? You have a whole lifetime, all right? But the thing is, are you going to be committed? And if we're going to be committed, that takes a vow. That doesn't take a, let's just kind of figure this thing out. And what happens and what we see here is that there's a 33% higher risk of when cohabitating couples actually marry. But we don't want to just avoid cohabitation or premarital sex because of the negative fallout that Pew Research has given us. We want to go under the covering of God's blessing. We want to go about our relationships and our understanding of marriage not because of the fallout, but because of our worship. This gives God glory and honor for us to follow in the ways that he's laid out. It's about worship, not just to avoid the pain. As we understand that marriage is God's idea, we understand that we can't create marriage. It's not our idea. And by the way, it's also not a government idea. Government can't create marriage. It can only recognize uh, whether it's a legitimate or illegitimate marriage or whatever they want to recognize. They can recognize anything. Just because a government agency recognizes a tax break doesn't make it biblical. God is the only one that can create marriage, and we see this in his creative purposes. God's blueprint of marriage is, to be, is seen as one man and one woman in monogamy. I cannot believe, by the way, I have to say this, that it needs to be monogamy. But as I have been seeing the dominoes fall... Monogamy is the next domino to fall to where that is going to be seen as controversial. Polygamy was common in the Old Testament and many cultures around and surrounding Israel. Just because it was common, by the way, did not mean it was right. But unfortunately, much of Israel fell into polygamy. Their commitment is to many other people and often like, well, we can increase our, our land if we have these royal marriages and you have, you know, 300 wives. Okay, let's do it. That, that makes sense, right? No, polygamy has always been wrong, even if you see a number of narratives in historical books of the Old Testament. Uh, polygamy was never part of God's plan. But often Israel would take part in having multiple wives because the surrounding nations would do that and influence them. Today, according to NPR, one in five people are experimenting with multiple partners or are open to relationships that is not monogamous. One in five. And it gets worse. A recent YouGov survey found only 43% of those under 30 want to be fully monogamous. Remember I said it could be banned in five years? <laughs> the, the stats are already there to prove it. By the way, this is full-on relational anarchy. And you're like, how did we get here? It gets here when we take one step away off his blueprint. 
And by the way, this is going to create constant, full cultural despair. Experts are actually pointing, uh, because of the rise of non-monogamous relationships, uh, in, they asked Gen Z, why are you doing this? And they said, because we saw our broken homes. And the broken homes often, they saw statistically, moved away from the church. And now they're saying, we're just trying something new. But what they're finding is depression is off the charts in these non-monogamous relationships. So what they're trying to solve, they're making worse. But it's going to take revival to stop this madness and returning to his relational blueprint. Listen, here's the deal. I'm not talking down like all this madness. We're all part of the madness, aren't we? Our hearts want to go astray. Back to our text this morning. The Pharisees, again, are asking a question to trap Jesus. And Jesus zags. Instead of directly answering the trap of a question, Jesus went back to his creative purposes, his blueprint. And so the Pharisees are not satisfied so they ask him a follow-up question. Matthew chapter 19, verse 7. Well, why then, he asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? He's like, oh yeah? Okay, Jesus, you're saying that you know, it's one man, one woman? Well, Moses, and you like Moses, right? Who doesn't love Moses? Moses had this thing called a divorce paper to send her away. Are you going to start talking smack about Moses? We got him here, we got him. He's going to be heretic, right? He told them, this is Jesus, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. This is what Jesus didn't say. Oh yeah, Moses gave you divorce papers because this was in the plans of God too. You know, God was wrong in his creative purposes, so he created this new thing. It's marriage 2.0. No, that's not what he said. He said the reason why there are divorce papers is because of your hardness of heart. When a man would put away his wife, the wife especially in this era, right, where many women didn't have any rights, uh, they, they would literally starve to death. What do you do with this, this, this mom, this mom who the, the husband has nothing at all, what, what he could, he's, he's not taking care of her, what do we do? So in the kindness of God, he's actually protecting the one who's being put away. But this isn't the way that it should be. This is because of the hardness of, God, of, of man's heart, not God's plan. He says this, it was not like that from the beginning. But I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, and marries another, commits adultery. So the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus with a what about. But Jesus is making clear the reality of divorce is the hardness of heart. Divorce is not endorsed by God. It's a reality of the fallen world that we live in. And again, when we view marriage as uh, from the creative purposes... Uh, we begin to see the high view of marriage that God has. But when we begin to look at marriage from the cultural purposes, we will always lower the standard of the high view of what we should have for marriage. Today, people can use any reason to end any marriage. It's called no-fault marriage. We have that here in the state of Wisconsin. In the Pharisees' day, often, literally, there's writings where if men didn't like the food that they ate, they're like, you're gone. Divorce came at a huge cost in their society, and it comes at a huge cost in our society as well. Divorce affects the economy, by the way, uh, every year uh, at least $100 billion in lost money in our economy. It affects children, it affects work productivity, it affects everything. But looking at God's design, marriage should be very, very hard to get out of. And Jesus provides that one exception, adultery. I want to pause here for a moment because I realize that if we are reaching the community, and even if you're a follower of Christ, you could still fall into experiencing a marriage that has failed. Um, both my parents are, are divorced, and so I, I, I lived with this, and my heart is with you no matter where you're at. And, and I want you to know that wherever you're at right now, you can begin to walk in the ways of the Lord. 
And so whether you, uh, you, your marriage ended because uh, your spouse walked out on you and they were unfaithful to you, I just want to say, first and foremost, I am so terribly sorry for that. I want you to know uh, that God has a plan for your life, a plan for restoration. I want to talk to the person that you are the aggressor. I want you to know that your past does not have to define you. The damage trail may be behind you, but listen, you can begin to walk in God's blessing and forgiveness right now. I, want you, I just want to know that no matter what situation you're in, if you're in a marriage that is hard and it's just hanging on a thread, fight for it, contend for it. But no matter where you're at, I want you to know that you are not unreachable by our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God loves everybody in this place and he wants to open himself up to you no matter what season you are in this place. And so I don't want you walking in here, and my, this has happened to my mom. She'd walk into the, the church and she would, she, would, she would come in as the identity of I'm divorced, I'm divorced, I'm divorced. Maybe some of you are coming in, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single. Maybe some of you are coming in and I'm like, I have a terrible marriage, terrible marriage, terrible marriage. And then all of a sudden, I just want you to know this. This is what, this is what my mom had to realize. She had to realize, I am no longer going to see myself as a divorced woman, but I'm going to see myself again as a daughter of the Most High God. And church, that needs to be our mindset. Our identity is not the season you're in. Your identity is in the, is in the Christ, our Savior, who is walking through us no matter what season we are in. One of the number one indicators for divorce is not sharing religious beliefs. It's astounding, actually, 60 to 80% of all marriages that don't share religious beliefs, they call them interfaith marriages, uh, end in divorce. So marriage is meant to join believers. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? To be yoked together, it's an old farming term. It literally meant that two cattle were, were connected by each other's neck. But when the cattle wouldn't work together, the work would be unproductive or it would be impossible. One cow would want to go one way, one cow would want to go the other way, and you're not going straight. And so if you have different understandings of who Jesus is, if, you, if one's a non-believer and one's a believer, you're not going to grow spiritually. You're going to be fighting against each other, especially when it comes to raising kids. I look at it this way. Allison and I used to whitewater raft, and the reason why we say used to is because Allison said she retired after the level five we did in Alaska a couple years ago. But uh, uh, whitewater rafting requires you to row together, steer together, because if you don't do that together, you're going to flip together into rapids in this level five that we are on. We realize someone had just died the year before. It's like, I don't want to die, right? If we don't row together in life, in your marriage, if you don't row together in the ways of the Lord, you're going to flip into the rapids of life. God commands you to marry within the faith. And when dating, listen, this is so important. This is why in dating you don't tinder it or bumble it in a way where you're outside of the things of the Lord, right? Some people are so casual with their dating relationships that instead of being casual, you need to guard your heart. You need to desire that whomever that you step into, can you marry this person? Don't say, hey, would you marry me? That's gonna freak them out, right? But I'm saying, is this somebody that's, that I can marry? Is this somebody that holds the same values of the Lord with me? The answer is no. Don't buy into the old myth of, well, I'll change them. That's usually, I, when I come into marriage counseling, it's like, I thought I'd change them. It's like, well, how'd that go? What happens if you did marry somebody outside the faith? You're in here today, I'm like, yeah, your spouse isn't here in church. Or you both married outside of the faith, and one of you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, the Bible's very clear. It says, if any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. 
Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must, must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave, and your brother and sister is not bound in such cases. You are to stay as long as they're willing to stay if you're married to somebody who is not a believer. Marriage is not made just for you. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is about commitment. Third is marriage is complementary. Think about this. Genesis chapter 2, before God created woman, Adam had the biggest man cave on the planet. It was the planet, all right? It was his, and he got to name every animal, and yet we see clearly in Scripture that there was not a helper suitable for man. And so God created Eve. And they were to live in a complementary, equal but complementary relationship equal though they may have different roles Ephesians 5 22 says wives submit to your husbands as the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church he's the savior of the body now as the church submits to Christ so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy and cleansing her with the washing the water of the word here's the deal this passage is very very controversial I even had one wedding where, where I had one of the moms say don't read that passage I'm like this passage passage is it's it's a beautiful expression of God's blueprint of marriage what usually trips people up is this word submit they see this word submission where they're like oh man I'm gonna be under the thumb of my husband or or maybe the husbands read this like yep it's my castle I'm the king of this castle and that's not what this word submission means this word submission is responsibility is that men can I talk to men for a second we're almost done here can I talk to men is that cool wives can I talk to your can I talk to your husbands right Men, submitting means this. Notice what it says right here. As Christ loved the church. Woo, right? Men, this doesn't mean like, I am king of this castle, listen to me. It means that you lead. You lead in the things of the Lord. You lead your kids in the things of the Lord. You lead your wife in the things of the Lord. It's not like I'm saying you're incapable, you're not. But listen, when the Lord says the whole temperature of your home, if the man is not leading in the ways of the Lord, the temperature is going to be down. You're going to try to turn that thermostat up, but it's hard to get a man moving if the man isn't going to be motivated by the Spirit of God himself. We need to lead, men. Set the pace. Lead in repentance. Lead in worship. Lead in knowing his word. Lead in being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Lead your wife in the Lord. Lead your kids in the Lord. Lead in truth. Lead, 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 lead. And many men are, but many men have accepted the cultural understanding that men just take the back seat, they get on their lazy boy, and they just sit there spiritually. And I'm saying, men, God wants more of you. The beautiful thing we see here in Ephesians 5 is that marriage is for each other. We miss the point when we think that I'm going to get married and you better serve me in this way or else I'm not going to serve you. You see, if we look at the sacrificial nature of Christ, it's you see the one another in marriage. You're not the point. Service and sacrifice is the point. Marriage is complementary. Finally, and this is a big one, we're going to close here. Marriage is about Christ. Marriage is about Christ. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, 
to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. The reason why God is so protective on the blueprint of marriage is because marriage is to reflect the gospel. Marriage is to reflect the glory of God. The world will laugh at God's ways. God's ways will rarely be reflected in the media or influencers online. You see, when we make marriage into something of our own making, we prepare wrongly. And we begin to reflect ourselves onto God instead of God reflecting onto us. The enemy wants nothing more than to destroy your home or the preparation of building a home. He wants nothing more to weaken the home because a weakened home is a weakened society. Dominoes will drop generation upon generation upon generation because the home is weakened. I can't help but think that people that are rejecting monogamy. It's because they have experienced a weak home. Satan knows if he can turn your view of sacrifice into selfishness. He knows that he can weaken your home. Satan knows that if, if, if you can weaken the home, you will then begin to blame other people for the predicament that you're in. And when you begin to blame somebody else, he's got you. Satan tells you, he tells society that you're victims. You've heard that, right? You're a victim. Demand your rights for this. You're a victim. And but in Jesus Christ, it's the exact opposite. You are a victor. And when we go to the blueprint of Jesus Christ, when we go to the blueprint of what, what we are supposed to and how we're supposed to relate to people, no matter what season you're in, no matter what pain that you've gone through, I want you to know that the victimhood that you experience, that you put on as your identity, can be broken today. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has given you hope through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, to be forgiven and know Him clearly. But in this life, Life, we don't have to live like we don't know Christ. We don't have to live in, in the hardships of the past because we know that we have victory in Christ right now. You can break the chains and the cycles of what has pushed you down, what has made you think that there's no way that God could work through you, that you could have a healthy relationship, that you could have a healthy home, that you could have a healthy second chance. What I want you to know is this. Jesus is in the business of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. Some of you are so battered down by the time you're 18 because of all the mistakes that you made in high school. Some of you are battered down by the mistakes that you've made of parents in your 20s and 30s. Some of you have made mistakes in your 40s and 50s and you don't have a marriage to stand on anymore. And I want you to know, I'm not endorsing necessarily what happened and maybe you're not as well. But what I am endorsing is I'm endorsing the one who's the way maker. I'm endorsing the one who's given you a second chance today to stand on your two feet and say, Lord Jesus, I am following your ways. And church, isn't that amazing that we get to have hope in a Savior? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your ways. Your ways are often not our ways. But God, I pray our ways would be aligned to your ways. Speak to us, Lord. Just as we respond right now, there's a couple things I want us to respond first and foremost. 
is when we talk about healthy relationships, I wanna make sure that you have a healthy relationship with God. So as we continue to pray, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you placed your faith and trust in him alone? Have you made it personal? The answer is I don't know or no. I want you to know you can change an answer today. You see, Jesus said that you can know that you have eternal life. Jesus said that today is the day of your salvation. So today, if you want to make Jesus Christ your personal Savior, you want to place your faith and trust in him alone, you can do that right now. You see, God, he created you to have a relationship with him. But our sins is when we win our own way. We win our own way in many ways in our life, and that separates us from Jesus. That separates us from God. And the error of humanity is we think that somehow if we prove our goodness, that somehow we'll make it all work out in the end, but it won't. Without a remedy, we're doomed in the end. But Jesus came to fix that. He came 2,000 years ago to stand in our place, to die on the cross. God pouring the wrath on Jesus, every sin that we've ever committed. And he said, it's finished. Three days later, he rose from the dead and that proved that he is God because if he was still on the ground, he'd just be another guru. But he rose from the dead. The Bible says that all who cry on the name of the Lord will be saved. We just cry out to him right now and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to save me. I place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe that you are God. I believe you're the only way and I need you to make the way in my life. Just pray to him. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, like today, I wanna make Jesus Christ my savior. If that's you, if no one looking around, we just raise up your hand and say, yep, that's me. I wanna place my faith and trust in, he, in you alone. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.